1: Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Well hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me Chris Hall and him Pete George. Um, just a little bit of a disclaimer right at the top today obviously there's a really tight turnaround with games this week from the Birmingham game last night we're recording uh, on Thursday at this point um into uh, into obviously a game away at Norwich on Saturday. So the we'll, we'll be doing limited amount of uh, of editing uh, on this uh, on this podcast. Believe it or not we do take some of the ums and ahs and the and the like out of this but not as much uh, today because we simply haven't got time to turn it around so apologies if it's not quite as clean a pod as it usually would be but just you know blame it on the tight turnaround the tight turnaround is of course from the game against Birmingham City which for want of a better word was an absolute disaster last night Um, Albion going down 3-2 although that doesn't really tell the whole story Albion just exposed time and time again in behind their defence, and Birmingham made hay while the sunshine. Scott Hogan had a very nice evening, helped himself to three goals, three relatively well taken goals. But my goodness me, did he have some help from us, Pete? We'll come on to the specifics of that and to talk about. Two players whose last name begin with B very shortly. I don't think it'll be any massive surprise that, that that they're the focus of quite a lot of this podcast. But what I would start with saying is that on Steve Bruce, we've generally been fairly staunch in our defence of him on this podcast throughout the course of this series of draws, which has generally been our run of form since the start of the season and said that he hasn't got a great deal wrong in terms of the way he set the team up. We've just largely been been quite unlucky in games with chances that probably on a normal day you wouldn't expect to see fly into, into our net, and chances that you would expect us to score, we've not been taking. We cannot possibly say that about last night. Last night was just a bad performance. It was a bad performance from the players but the manager's got a lot wrong as well, hasn't he, uh, on this one? And I think, I, I personally think um he massively underestimated the way Birmingham were going to approach this game because Birmingham flew out the traps at us from the off. And I don't think we were ready for that. I think we expected a rearguard action, the likes of which we saw from Cardiff and, uh, and Wigan. And it, it was never there, was it?
0: No, they started the game very brightly, very much on the front foot and... um yeah, we kinda just didn't didn't start ourselves. Um and then there was obviously a few I mean we were talking off air and I think the biggest tactical error that I mean we've probably seen biggest one we've seen all season is the fact that the the back line's not been dropped back since Ajay's been injured, because obviously he would cover cover that space in behind really well. He's you know, very quick and he makes those recovery recoveries. Um and Bartley doesn't. Bartley's not quick enough. Um, he can't do what a dry does. So the fact that we're leaving that space open for them to run into is is obviously a major flaw in the in the setup. And
1: why why uh, hasn't Bruce looked at that? I mean, you and I said on this very podcast at, the, uh, at when when we started the season that the one player we cannot afford to lose through injury is Shemi Ajay, because Bartley's too much like Dar O'Shea and it completely takes any pace out of that defence. Yet Steve Bruce has played the same defensive tactics with O'Shea and Bartley as he did with Ajay and O'Shea. And I don't think either of us purport to be any sort of a tactical genius, Pete. But it doesn't take... A genius to work out that you can't play the same way when the two, defen- two central defenders are a damn sight slower than they are when one of them is really quite quick.
0: Yeah, we've not adjusted for that, have we? We've just kind of carried on the same way. And um, well, the opposition's have, opponents have been more effective in using that space that we've left them behind without a Ajayi there to cover it. It's it's a good avenue for them to attack down. And I mean, two of their, two of the three goals from Birmingham came from a ball played into the space behind the right back and the right centre back, which is the areas that Ajayi would usually cover. So, I mean, as soon as Ajayi got injured, first thing Bruce should have been thinking is, okay, how are we going to adapt to, to not make it so easy for teams to attack us? Um, and, I think the obvious solution would be to to just drop the line a few yards maybe 5 10 yards and not be not be so aggressive in pressing just keep it compact still but just drop that line a bit to to give the opposition a bit less space to to play the ball into behind the defense.
1: Well you also say there about uh, the balls were popped into our our, our right right back channel. I'm not. I don't want to get on uh, get on at him because he's, he's a good young player. Although I am still very much of the opinion that Taylor Gardner Hickman is a much better central midfielder than he is a right back. The one change that Bruce has made is, since, uh, since, I mean, it just before Ajayi got injured, actually he dropped him for the uh, for, he dropped Furlong for the Wigan game, and then had to bring him on when Ajayi got injured. But he's he's left Furlong out for Taylor Gardner Hickman, and you and I were looking at the data beforehand. Furlong makes a lot more interceptions than uh, than Taylor. Also if the tactic as it was last night at times was to go over the fullback into that space. Furlong his average position is deeper and he's better in the air than uh, th- 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 than Taylor. He gets up to to head those balls away which we saw a couple of times against Watford and saw a couple of times against against Hull. I know Darnell Furlong is not a lot of people's Favorite player, but when Bartley is getting exposed in that uh, as that right-sided centre half without a guy there, I think taking Furlong away compounds the matter, not help it.
0: Yeah, I can see your point there. Um, to me, there's not a lot between Furlong and Gardner Hickman on there, you know, like the overall impact, defensively and offensively. I don't think there's too much to. Choose between the two. I don't think Gardner Gardner Hickman's had bad games since he's come in. I don't think they've been particularly good either. I think they've just been average, and I think Furlong's been fairly average for the season as well. And I mean, the big miss for me is Furlong's long throw. And I know we haven't scored from it for quite a long time, and but I I think it's still a massive threat, even just to. Even if you don't use it directly. I mean, a lot of the time we kind of play play short into Wallace and have a two on one to work the space to get the cross in and still have the and we've got the centre backs in the box to hit from the cross. So it gives us options, um, which is a big difference between Furlong and Gardner Hateman for me. Um and defensively, I can definitely see what you're saying about aerially, Furlong's better. But Again, it's I think, just
1: those little clip balls in that he seems because he's got this freakish leap where he seems to be able to leap like most of his his body height, and he he just makes these last ditch ones where he just gets his gets his head head to it. I uh, and as I say, his interceptions data backs this up.
0: Yeah, and I mean definitely better aerially and and helps in that respect. Um, but I think the bigger issue is the. Is the man playing just inside of him with a Jai missing rather than rather than having a Jai we've got Bartley next to him, which I think whether you're playing Furlong or, or Gardner Hitman, you know, the you're gonna see a weakness a weaker defense when you've got Bartley playing instead of a Jai in a high line. So for me that's that's the bigger issue than whether we're playing Gardner Hitman or Furlong.
1: And to move on to Carl Bartley, I mean <laughs> First of all, I'd just like to make a point on this uh, before we go on to talk about Carl Bartley's performance, because unsurprisingly, we're going to be extremely critical of him and with good reason. But that being said, the booing of his every touch, I am never, ever, ever going to condone that. I I don't think booing your own players helps. I understand the fans' frustration. I understand the frustration with, with Bartley. He is held to a, to a certain standard. He's also wearing the armband last night, I believe, um, which means he's he's got to hold himself to a certain standard. And he did not meet those standards, not anywhere near last night. He was miles off it. But that being said, I don't get... I, I can't condone booing your own players. It's... It's awful. It's toxic. It doesn't help the players. Bartley was awful last night, but he's not trying to play bad, Um, and I don't. I I don't see that booing him helps. So I wish. I wish we wouldn't do that. The fact that we've seen it twice in six months with uh, with Bartley and uh, and uh, and um, uh, and Robinson really worries me because I genuinely can't remember the last time the Albion fans booed. A player in their own shirt. I I could be wrong. Going back to the nineties, it might have happened with Fabian De Freitas after he after he missed that game on the uh, on the Monday night because he didn't realise it was a three o'clock kickoff. It may have happened to him in his next game. I know Scott Darton got some unholy stick back in the, uh, back in the day. Paul Groves was one. But you know, I'm going back to the nineties here. I can't I can't think of actual. Actually, I think it happened after Barcelona, um, uh, and but that is the one of the only times I will actually condone it. Um, I think uh, I think Gareth Barry uh, may have got booed after Barcelona, but to be fair, they stole a taxi. What you know on a, on a on a club trip, I I, I can. That is one of the only situations where I might actually condone it. In this, a player out on the pitch playing appallingly, yes, but yes, he but he is trying for the shirt, whether that effort and ability is completely and utterly nowhere near what you'd expect it to be is fair, is fair comment. But I just, Pete, I I can't get my head around the fact that it is becoming a thing now to boo our own players. The fact that we've done it twice in, in, in six months is a concern to me.
0: Yeah, I completely agree there. And I was just trying to think, think back to whether I could remember any times and the only one I could think of was yeah the the taxi gate booing after that um but obviously my experiences with Albion don't go far as far back as yours to the nineties um but
1: yeah we were really bad back then mate you 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 want to be glad you can't remember that
0: <laughs> yeah I mean I've read about it and uh yeah, I'm glad I missed that bit, but who knows we might be heading there soon again um,
1: we don't look miles off,
0: but the uh the booing just on a a poor performance which it was a very poor performance is yeah for me it doesn't help anyone really Um, and it's very different to to booing after as you say stealing a taxi and on a club trip and and all of that when you're just booing on performance I mean like you say Bartley he wasn't trying to play badly um, but what's he going to think next time he's he's picked to start I mean I don't think he will be starting the next game um, but I assume he will be, I assume that won't be his last start for Albion. Because...
1: Well, well, also on this, Pete, and this is probably not that applicable to Bartley, but it might become, if if booing our own players becomes a thing, it might become a problem. Do you think the booing of Robinson at the end of last season has devalued him and, and brought down the amount of money that we could end up getting for him in this window. Because I think Cardiff have got a snip at 1.5 million. And you've got to wonder whether we, our, our negotiating standpoint with these players, it wouldn't be the case with Bartley because he's going to go on a free at the end of the season. Nobody's going to pay any money for him at this stage of his career. But if we start regularly booing our own players and then try to sell them, people are going to go, well, we know you want to get rid of him because the fans hate him. So we're going to pay you half of what he's worth.
0: No, the players will probably want to leave as well. I can't imagine many players want to want to play on a pitch where their own supporters are booing their every touch. And so, will
1: players want to come to us if if they're seeing if they're seeing players in an Albion shirt getting booed by their own fans?
0: Well, you wouldn't have thought so, would you? Because as a player, you want to play in positive atmospheres rather than having your own touch booed every time the ball comes to you. But, well, I mean, it's just a real... Really bad kind of uh, trend, if you like. There's obviously a lot of negativity around the club, but I mean, after the Burnley games, seemed to be a lot of positivity towards the players, despite the negativity that was. It was more focused on the board and and the mix up, the errors that occurred in the transfer deadline day, and that seemed to be directed at at the board and the owners, etc. But there seemed to be positivity around the players, which. I mean it's kind of what we need at the minute we obviously can't forget about what's been happening at the top of the club and how it's been run but that's that's not the players fault and we need to support them as much as we can to try and try and help us give us our best shot at, at getting towards the playoffs or the automatics
1: that being said I mean if the players show up like they did in 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 a, or don't show up like they didn't in a in a local derby as much as the the blues rivalry is probably overstated by those outside of the Midlands, but those who live within the West Midlands will know that it's it's never been a particularly fierce one. You know, we, we obviously have distaste for Villa and Wolves. They hate Villa, but Albion Blues... Not really. As long as I've been watching the Albion, it was it was a it was a bit when we seemed to be at the same end of a few divisions in the in the sort of early nineties. But it's never really been a big thing, has it, Albion Blues? But nonetheless, you can't perform like that in a local derby. And there was a. I mean, to be honest, it's it it would be quicker to list the players who come out of that game with 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 any credit. I think really you're looking at. Jed Wallace, who we won't talk about in any depth today because Jed Wallace is just Jed Wallace and you know what you're going to get from him and he worked his backside off. I thought Malumbi, although a little bit headless chicken at times, still was all effort, all energy um, and and really put himself about. And I thought we will talk about Brandon Thomas-Sante in a bit more depth at the end of the pod because I thought he was the one real, real positive out of last night because I thought... That sparked us into life for the last 15 minutes. But so the rest of them throw into a cocked hat, really, and just say that that they were generally dreadful. But there was degrees of awful last night. And yes, for the next few minutes, we're going to focus on Bartley and Button. But that's not to say they were the only ones. As I say, I thought Taylor had a poor game other than one world-class challenge on Chong to deny a certain goal. I thought most of the rest of his game was was, it was pretty poor. Um, I thought some of Swift's passing was loose. Um, I thought Jokoslu had a dreadful game. He really, really did. Um, and he seems to be a little bit sublime to the ridiculous at the moment. I think it's probably got uh, got a lot to do with the fact that He's still getting himself back to form, and probably he's he's going to have peaks and troughs in his form. But it just goes to show that how thin the squad is, Pete, that we we can't move players out when uh, of the of the team when we need to. Because I feel like. Swift maybe needs a rest here and there. I feel I definitely feel like Yukoslu probably needs to only play one game in every two at the moment. Um, I think there's gonna come a point where Taylor's gonna to have to come out the team because it's gonna it's gonna be a little bit too much for 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 a young lad like him. I think you know desperately Grant needs to, to come out the team because it's not really happening for him, but there's no real viable option. Maybe Thomas Asante going forward, but he, you know. We can't rotate when players need to come out and have a rest and maybe recover their form and 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 you know and almost just let a bad performance be a bad performance and let bygones be bygones by sitting on the bench for a game and coming back the next day. We just can't do that because we're so threadbare.
0: And that's going to be an issue for the for the rest of the season. Well, at least until January. But the budget in that window is going to grow much since since the end of the, the summer window. Um, and, yeah, going back to Yakuzlu I thought it was a terrible game and it might be due to the fact that he's still working on his fitness and everything, but I think he needs to go back to doing what he does best, which is winning the ball back and then playing it to teammates easy. I think he's tried too much and we said it. we said it when we signed him that his best attributes are his defensive attributes and and maybe his ability to dribble, but definitely not his passing and his progressive passing and passes into the box and, you know, key passing, if you like. So I think he's trying too much of that and, and does need to keep it simple, protect that defense, um, and leave that kind of work to people like Swift and Dean Wallace. And I mean, even Malumbi's probably a better passer than Yacuzhulu is. So I think that's probably what's the issue there. Um, whether that's him or whether that's Bruce trying to use him in ways that he's he's not best suited for
1: no absolutely and uh, you know i think there's i think there's a few players who are having slight dips in the in their form, and the issue is we can't rotate them now in terms of dips um, to have a dip you have to have you have to have a high and unfortunately, I just think since Carl Bartley's come into the team. He, he he hasn't even he hasn't even hit a performance level that you would consider acceptable yet for me. And he pro- you know, he probably shouldn't if O'Shea was out injured, fine with Bartley coming in. But this is the issue with our with our complete nutter lack of depth at centre half. Bartley should not be replacing a jay because it doesn't work. Bartley and O'Shea do not work. We said this, we said this a month ago. We said this at the start of the season that you cannot play Bartley and O'Shea together. And what's what's worse, Pete, is I feel like when Carl Bartley plays in a system or a partnership that doesn't suit him, I feel like his head goes. We saw this in his first season under Darren Moore, where his concentration is lapsed. He makes odd decisions. And we saw that this last night. You know, the second goal he swings a leg aimlessly at, 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 that, at that ball. You're not going to get it. Just start running backwards. You, you know, you've got, you've got to be good enough to make that decision in your mind about whether or not you can cut that ball out. That's the difference between being a good defender and a bad defender. And then I don't think he was quick enough to get back into position on, uh, on either the, the, the first or second goals. Sorry, the second or third goals. The first goal... I don't think he's aware enough to where Hogan is. There is a question whether he's offside. I've not seen it back, um, but it was tight. But nonetheless, I'm not sure Bartley knows where Hogan is over his shoulder. And the third goal, I mean, is just a catalogue of errors. He's, he lacks awareness. First of all, people saying about Taylor Gardner-Hickman shouldn't be hooking that ball back from the touchline into the middle of the park. I agree with he should let that ball go out of play. However, what's, what, what's, what's worth noting is, first of all, on the clip I've seen, it doesn't show it, but it's Bartley's bad header to Taylor Gardner-Hickman in the first place that caused him to hook it back into play. Secondly, Bartley's awareness there is non-existent, that he does not realise who or what is around him, that he doesn't need to touch that header. Because if he doesn't, it goes straight through to Molumbi. So he doesn't need to make that. And then as he goes back, I appreciate what he's trying to do in the penalty area. And for me, we'll come on to David Button in a minute, but most of the blame for what happens in the end lies at, quite literally at the feet of David Button because why his feet are so far apart is beyond me. He should never get beat from that angle. And I appreciate Bartley's trying to stop the cutback. But there has to come a point where, as a professional defender, you defend your goal. And yeah, I, I, it's, it's a catalog of errors, but I feel like Kyle Bartley's mentally when he's in a system or in a partnership that doesn't suit him, I feel like his head goes and he starts making decisions, uh, bad decisions. And I, I feel like the Kyle Bartley we're seeing at the moment is the Kyle Bartley we saw in that first season under Darren Moore.
0: I'd say the first goal. Um, I mean, it did look offside to me. Um and on the replays, I thought it was, they didn't really show the best angle for it, but it looked offside. But nevertheless, he he wasn't tight enough to to Hogan. You know, O'Shea stepped out to put pressure on the ball and, and Bartley's got to shift across and and mark that man, which he, he doesn't do quick enough. Um, and then that second goal, both Bartley and O'Shea were, were slow to, to drop off. You know, the Birmingham midfielder had it with a lot of space. Um and a lot of with a man sprinting at the back line and a lot of space to play to play the ball into as soon as they see that I think they need to to sprint back and just give them less space in behind pits instead of kind of throwing a leg at it as Bartley did and then start to sprint back. I think it kind of it needs to be more proactive and less reactive in in that situation um and then that third the third one obviously the the errors that gave the ball away was, yeah, there were massive errors um, that were largely uh, with Bartley at fault. But, yeah, I can definitely see what he's trying to do as Hogan gets into the box. He's stopping the cutback to, I think it was Chung. And if Hogan had been able to cut that back, then, you know, it would have been a much better position to to shoot from. I think Bartley showed him into a less dangerous area and at that point in that angle I think you've got to be able to trust your keeper and that's why for me that third one is is more button at fault in the end because as a keeper you mentioned it off air, the the technique to save those shots or shots would be to kind of get your knee next to your foot and you know as they call it in cricket. Sam used to do. Yeah, that's what you're saying about Johnston. You know, as they call it in cricket, a long barrier, and it just it means you don't have that space in between your legs. But Button seemed to just, I don't know, squat down and and just have this massive gap between his feet and legs that you could easily just slot the ball through. Um, You know, if that's if that's Sam Johnson in goal, that that goal doesn't go in. And I don't think you're questioning Bartley's defending as much if the keeper makes a simple save, which Button probably should have done there.
1: And we'll come on to Button at the, in a moment because I think he's at the crux of a lot of our problems, and uh, I I think he's I don't think it's just last night. I think he's been generally pretty bad this season. Um, but just on Bartley, Pete, he can't play sat can he? I mean, for one thing, there's basically a fan revolt against him at this point. But just, I just whilst I tend to agree with you that the third goal is more Button than it is Bartley. Bartley did not do a lot. Good last night. I was just looking at looking at his 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 numbers from last night before we came uh, came on air. Zero tackles, zero interceptions, zero block shots. Okay, he's made three clearances, but that's all he's done in the game. He's just he, he, he doesn't he's not stopping anything happening at the moment. He just looks a total and utter fish out of water. And yes, Bruce has got to take some of this. Uh, because he, he, as soon as Ajayi gets injured, as we've said, Bruce has got to drop that defence five five yards deeper. But Bartley's head's gone for me, and he can't play Saturday.
0: I wouldn't have him playing Saturday. Um, it seems like the only option is to bring in Peters and either have him playing as the, the left centre-back or have him at left-back in, in Townsend going to centre-back, which...
1: Unless you like... put your Koslu in at centre half and have a more have a more attacking midfield, it involves obviously moving a lot of players around. But dropping Swift into the eight, Dieng Garner in the ten, Grant out on the left, and starting Brandon Thomas Asante. I
0: suppose that is a possibility. Um, when he dropped into he dropped into centre back against Burnley, I think. And to be honest, he looked a bit erratic at times, and and uh, yeah, I we've never really seen him in centre back. That, that being impact. said,
1: were you surprised that when the substitution board went up last night that it was Yucoslu it was that came off not Bartley because I was?
0: Yeah, and I think that's what he did against Burnley, wasn't it? Um, shifting Grant out onto the left and having a Thomas De up there and Grady's a 10, Swift dropping deeper and Yucoslu dropping into centre-back. So we saw it then. So I suppose I was a bit surprised that he didn't um, kind of repeat that, that move. Because, like you say, Bartley wasn't having a good game. Um, maybe Bruce didn't like what he'd seen from Jukicli at centre-back. Maybe maybe Jokoslu just needed a rest. You know. Well, and
1: also, he maybe he just didn't like what he'd seen from Jokoslu uh, generally because whilst he wasn't as bad as Bartley last night, he was very, very poor.
0: Yeah, that's true. But he had a, a shot in pre-season, didn't he? Um, signing him. We didn't have him from the start of pre-season and he wasn't having one. At his previous club, because he'd already left. So maybe it's just a case of him needing a bit more rest. I mean, he's basically started every game since, um, I think it was the first, first game or maybe the first two games that he, he didn't start but came on. So he has played a lot of minutes. Um, it could, it could just be a case of him needing a rest because, like you say, both of them had poor games, partly obviously worse, but neither of them, you know neither of them had good games so i think it's just one of those where it's probably more to do with getting him off the pitch giving him a bit more rest so he's he's ready to go for for Norwich
1: and moving on to button Pete, because that this is where my big concern is the the stats are just frightening on him three shots on target from birmingham last night three goals he has he is conceding more what? Over half of the shots on target against him are going into the back of the net. The guy doesn't make a save. Mannequins make more saves than this guy. I, I, I am staggered. We We've gone into the season with him as our number one. I, he's okay. So far this season, you're talking positives about Button. He made a great save against Hull. Uh, nil nil, wasn't it? Um, where he's tipped it onto the bar, and he saved the worst penalty I have ever seen in my entire life uh, that that was on target from from Ishmael Asar. Other than that, I can barely remember him making a save. He doesn't stop really anything that's hit at him. Uh, you and I differ slightly on on how much we blame him for the second goal. I think uh, I think because O'Shea's got beyond Hogan and is cutting off the wider part of the goal. I think. Button should be covering the, his near post. We differ slightly on that. We've talked about it off air. The third goal, I think we're both completely on the same page. He's he's what he is doing is anybody's guess. His legs are wider than the channel tunnel, and he gives Hogan this big old gap to stick the ball through. I don't know what he's doing, but it's not just about last night, is it, Pete? We raised questions after the Blackburn game as to whether Sam Johnston would have stopped those two shots, we both think that quite possibly he would have, he would have done. He just doesn't make saves, does he? And I, I don't understand how this guy's our number one. I don't understand how he's on a, on a two year deal. And I, I don't understand why we, given that we had the chance to have a look at him last season, why it wasn't noticed that he's not good enough. And when Sam was going that you just let button go and either a, make Griffiths the number one, who seems to yet again, yet again, the best goalkeeper at the club. Well, not yet again, because Sam Johnson has been the best goalkeeper at the club, but the the current best goalkeeper at the club is playing for Portsmouth. It's driving it me crackers. Like, why are we shooting ourselves in the foot here? The guy's had a couple of good seasons out. He's better than Button. Surely it was worth giving giving him a chance. But as it is, we are left with a substandard number one, who is costing us games because he doesn't let that ridiculous third goal through and we go away with a fairly undeserved point last night. But he's he's not up to it.
0: Yeah. Um, I think the first goal, a good keeper would have saved. Um, I don't think... Yeah, I think that was a di- bit difficult because a good keeper would have saved it. An average keeper, maybe not. I don't know. It's That one's 50-50 for me. I mean, this, the second one... I think that's a great shot, great finish. I know you you think he should be a, a bit further to his left, but for me that's there's not blame on him for that one, but the third one, that's just awful. Um, you know, you could you could pick probably any keeper in the academy to, to face that shot and, and nine times out of ten it gets saved, but our first team keeper can't seem to keep it out of the net. But you know, i had a quick look at the numbers for it and basically he's performing at Fifty percent of what, of what you would um, expect from an average goalkeeper, you know, from the shots that he's faced, the actual quality of the shots, you know, the power, the placement, and all of that, an average keeper would have conceded six, but David Button's conceded twelve. So I mean, I think that that speaks a lot for the performances that we've been seeing, um, and it does raise questions over why Griffiths was allowed to go on loan and and playing League One because from what I hear he's having a good season again seems to be the same every time which is obviously very promising for the future but is he really that far away from from what we need at the club at the minute is he that really that much worse than than what Button is well, because... he can't
1: be because they're, they're, they're right at the top of League One and people are lauding him. So uh, there, there, there really isn't that big a gap between goalkeeping in League One and goalkeeping in the Championship, is there?
0: No, I struggle to believe that the, the difference between them is huge. And maybe, well, I assume everyone expected us to be higher on the table after 10 games. I still don't, I don't think we'll be down here at the end of the season, but that's not the point, really. Um, I, yeah, personally, don't see why. We couldn't have tried him and let him gain the experience a league up rather than in league one because button's not looking like he's up to it. I was kind of reserving my judgment till we'd seen a bit more of him and we got a bit of a bigger sample size but you know I'm not seeing any changes he's letting in shots that he shouldn't let in and he's he's not um he's not stopping enough basically he's a massive step downgrade from what we were seeing last season under johnston um and Previously we'd obviously been blessed with goalkeepers you know we've had Foster and Johnston for probably the best part of ten years, which you know both been quality keepers, but even so you'd expect you'd expect better from from your goalkeeper in the championship.
1: well, you can see why he's never been number one anywhere for any any serious period of time and you he is, he is going to cost us, isn't he D- uh, do you think Bruce at this stage needs to take action um we, you know he's got palmer and i have to question whether he's rated by people at the uh, at the club because given how poor button is if palmer was rated surely to goodness he would be number 1 he looked okay-ish at Derby. He, I thought he was poor against Sheffield United, if if I'm honest. I haven't seen a lot more of him other than that, if I'm if I'm frank with you. I don't know whether he's better than Button or not. He can't be a lot worse on the basis of what we're showing. Or again, maybe it's another foray into the in into into the into the free market. But Bruce says the business is done. So maybe that's not, not, not an option. Maybe we're 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 all out of all out of money uh, do you think he needs to take action C- can we continue with David Button in goal given that he is conceding more than one in two shots on target because if a team has goes into a game against us and all they've got to do is have two shots on target to score a goal that is appalling and that's going to cost us matches of course
0: it will but there's not an awful lot that we can actually do now, now that we're outside of the transfer window Um, I think the only thing that you can really do is put Palmer in and see how he does. But the fact that Palmer's not been trusted, I mean, that seems to, seems to, you know, show what managers are actually thinking of him because he's actually very inexperienced as a goalkeeper for his age. He's, he's, I think he's played maybe just over a hundred games, senior games, which is not a lot for a goalkeeper that's, I think, 26. Um, Josh Griffiths, I think, played played more senior games than him, and he's about four or five years younger than him. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the only option because there's not going to be many, if any, without looking, um, goalkeepers that are on a free that are at a good enough level to come in and, and be our number one. So, I mean, worryingly, we seem to be, seem to not have any options.
1: No. And it, it, it's, it's, again, it's another area that the club just hasn't done it, it, proper business in. All the stuff we're talking about today. Look, yes, Steve Bruce has to carry some of the can for some some of the decisions that he's making. I don't disagree with that. Um, and we'll come onto to the bigger picture on Brucey in just a second. But yes, he has to carry some of the can for it. He's he not dropped the defence five yards, which is the most obvious thing to do after a Jay's injury. That's on Brucey. There's no getting away from that. But the lack of depth in the squad, the starting the season with only three centre-halves is ludicrous. Not improving or at least trying to get better than David Button in terms of the goalkeeper. It, the, these things aren't on Bruce because, because the, the problem is to actually get the creativity that he wanted into the squad, he had to spend the majority of the budget on Swift and Wallace. And it's left him nothing to actually rebuild the other areas of the squad these things are costing us. He has, you know, some, I'm sure some of the decisions in the transfer market come back to Bruce. If he's decided that he needed midfielders over a centre-forward, that boggles my mind because I, I, I do still think we're crying out for, for, for the nine. But I think in the end, it comes down to the bad running of our football club and also bad decisions made over a long period of time because you've got to question whether the likes of Kyle Bartley, Matt Phillips, you know people. Whether we should have our bench stuffed with guys on between fifteen and twenty thousand pounds a week in the in the Championship is a question you've got to ask, and that isn't on Steve Bruce. It's not really on Valerian Ishmael. It's it's on uh, it's actually on a variety of people. It's on the on the people at the top of this football club who've ran the club for for a while, but ultimately. It's on Lai and Ken and people like that, because they're the ones who've brought these pe- people in. And where we are in terms of squad depth isn't on Bruce. It's it, it, it's it's on it, it's on them. That being said, Pete, and I'll give you a chance to have your say on, on that little bit, um, just as I throw to you here. But um, ultimately, when we're 20th in the league and we're about to go into an international break, Steve Bruce's job will be under question. Uh, You know, it it, it is a time when chief execs, if they're going to change managers, will look to do it when they've got a two-week gap to do it. Is he a bad result? I I personally don't think he should be sacked. I'll put that on record now. But what I think will, uh, what what I believe is the right thing to happen and what I think will happen could well be two different things. Do you think a bad result against Norwich and his job's under threat?
0: Well, now's the time to to sack him if we are going to sack him because, you know, you get that couple of weeks without any games, time on the training ground for a new manager to come in and, you know, start to work with the players, start to implement his style and kind of see what he's working with. Personally, I don't think the performances in general as a team have been that bad. Obviously, we started poorly in the, that first half against Middlesbrough and... um Birmingham was also obviously very poor performance, but apart from that, the actual level of performance as a team has been has been pretty good I'd say we've been let down by not being able to keep the ball out of the back of the net, which you can you know you can't put it all on one player, but it's definitely not been helped by by the man between the sticks um and we've not finished as many chances as we should have done, but the level of performance. It's not worthy of twentieth place at the minute, is it really? But and that, no. That but reason, people
1: will just look at the table, won't they? A lot of them.
0: Of course, yeah. And um, I mean, that's obviously the the thing that that matters at the end of the season. It matters where you are on the table rather than how you've performed. But performance is, you know, it's more of a sign of what what you can expect in the future. Saying that, I think it really depends what we could actually get in. If we could tempt Sean Dyche to come in, then then I'd be considering it. But apart from that, I don't think there's many great options out there and I don't think Bruce is actually doing a bad job. I think he's been let down by a couple of players. Um, But like I say, if if Deitch is out there, then he's probably the only one that would tempt me to, to make a decision after the Norwich game.
1: You'd think though that he'd have more more about him than to touch this job with a sixty foot pole. And to be honest, if he was going to go into a job, you'd have thought he'd have been interested in something like the Stoke job far more than, than us. I mean, at least they've got a bit of bit of money, and uh, and that I, I I can't see I can't see Dice touching us with a sixty foot pole, mate.
0: No, I don't personally. I don't think he would. Um, I think he'll get a Premier League Premier League job, um, and he just he needs to be patient for that and he's probably just enjoying a bit of time bit of time out because he's obviously been managing for quite a, a number of years so you know he'll get opportunities that are better than Albion at the minute. So it's probably unrealistic but that's like I say, that's the only the only reason that I would be getting rid of Bruce after the Norwich game.
1: We've talked a lot of negatives today for fairly obvious reasons because not a lot of positives to talk about. But um, let's just finish on uh, before we before we, we're very kindly joined by a special guest. So let's just finish on a a, a a positive note, and that was the performance of Brandon Thomas Asante last night, Pete. Two goals in two games for the for the young man. Obviously, this one came from uh, from the spot, but he, it was a penalty that he won as well, and. He, he, he lit a fire under a few backsides when he came on, didn't he? He, he? he brought the energy levels up. I thought he was brilliant. And I think he's, you know, whilst he's probably still in certain technical areas, getting up to the level of the championship after playing in League Two, I, th- I think his energy levels and his effort is unquestionable. And I think he's a real positive and he, he has to be in line for a start on Saturday.
0: Yeah, lots of energy and he makes a lot of runs in behind, um, which is obviously u- useful. Grant makes a few every now and again, but not to the same volume that Thomas Asante has been doing, which is obviously useful to, to stretch that back line and just kind of give you a different, a different approach to the attacks rather than just looking to, to cross it in. You can maybe play it in behind and see if you can latch onto it like you did for the penalty. Uh, so. I mean that energy is promising. Um, you know, two goals in he's probably played about forty five minutes for us is you know, his confidence is gonna be high. Um
1: He's more of a nine than Grant as well, isn't he?
0: He seems to be, with what we've seen of him so far. And I think you can definitely tell that he's come from League Two. Some of his his first touches aren't as sharp as Grant, for example. Um and some of his decision making maybe isn't just quite as good as a lot of championship players would be but I think the more experience he gets in the league you know that's going to come but I'd be happy to see him start definitely because he, he provides a lot of energy and gives us a different a different venue to go down when we're, we're looking to attack rather than just have Jed Wallace whipping in crosses.
1: Brilliant. Well, just to finish off, I'm, I'm delighted to say that we are joined by uh, Elliot Yates, who is a Stoke City fan and a journalist uh, covering Stoke, who's going to just uh, chat to us a little bit about what we can expect from Eric Peters, because, of course, we saw a little bit of him in a brief cameo last night. But um, Elliot's going to give us a bit more of a picture of that. First of all, welcome to the pod, Elliot. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. No problem at all, mate. Thank you for joining. So, I mean, look, you, obviously there's been a club in between uh, Eric leaving Stoke and uh, and coming to the Albion in that he's been, to, been at Burnley. But I think Stoke fans probably had the longest period in which to build up a picture of Eric Peters. What can we expect from him as a player?
2: Well, Eric Peters for me was... Probably the best left-back I've seen play for Stoke. And I wouldn't get your hopes up of that because there haven't been many great left-backs to have played for, played for Stoke. But my impressions of Eric Peters were that he reminded me of an overlapping fullback, which I'm actually surprised looking at a bit of research into this. That he only got two assi- assists maximum for Stoke. And I think that's almost to sort of say how we were at the time. He fed off Arnautovic really well. And I think he maybe sacrificed himself a lot for Arnautovic at times where... Instead of maybe getting a crossing and getting an assist, he would more or less give the ball to Anatovic when he had the ball and he would do all the good work or look for players like Affili, Bojan, Shakiri in that sort of Stoke loaner system we had. But from my general memories of him, he was, like I said, an overlapping fullback, looked to get crosses into the box, very sort of attacking minded fullback, which I don't think he is now, actually. But I think those were the. Sort of perceptions I had of Eric as a as a left back at Stoke.
1: No, although yeah, I mean, I agree. Obviously, probably the years have caught up with him a little bit more than in that he probably can't be as marauding as he once was. Yet um, he, he he did get forward enough to put the ball through for the for the penalty last night. So I think that's probably reflected in even in what we've seen from him in the, in the brief in the brief cameo that uh, that we've that we've had from him. I think the the, the thing that you know, another thing that Albion fans would be interested in because we've probably lacked physicality in certain areas of the pitch is—I imagine he brings a certain element of that as well.
2: Yeah, he does bring a lot of physicality into into the defense. I think he's more—if you're looking at the stats, I read that he got four assists in his first season for Burnley, and I think he only got two assists maximum for Stoke, and he was only there—he was there for the majority of his career, and I think that just reflected the two. Teams Burnley sort of being more sort of defensive, getting balls into the box. he would put more crosses in for the likes of target men to get onto. But he certainly adds a, a physical element to it, and I think he's matured at Burnley since leaving Stoke because he was sort of at Stoke put more emphasis onto the attack, um, get the balls one out of it. Whereas Burnley, it would be more sort of make sure your defence is really solid, nothing gets past you. And I could, I think he would do a really great job for for West Brom. As if you're playing a back three as a left centre half I think he's developed his game at Burnley become more mature in the defence that he could act as a left centre half as well as that so I think he does have a lot more physicality there he certainly knows how to deal with a man when he's coming at him now whereas at Stoke he sort of used to let people pass them by and I think that's more Sean Dyche just teaching him that but he's definitely since he's left Stoke I think he's almost become a different player with age he's very much become more defensive minded rather than attacking minded and I think that's Credit to people like Sean Dyche who have um, made him like that, whereas we sort of made him maraud the wings a lot more.
1: It's interesting because, I mean, it's something Bruce spoke about when we signed him, that, uh, that he could play that... The the centre half role. I mean, I think playing left side of uh, of the centre half would require us to have um have have two other centre backs that were worthy of the name, which is something of a problem for us at the moment. Because uh, the, to say centre half after last night is is a bit of a problem position for us, is and is an understatement. But it, it'd be interesting to see if if he was required. To fill in as the left-sided one of a, of a back a back four of two centre halves, whether or not he could do that uh, do that role. I mean, obviously, as I say, it's been a couple of years since he was uh, since he was a Stoke City footballer. But do you think he's got the pace, or would he get exposed in behind in that sort of system? I don't think you get as exposed
2: in behind anymore when he's at Stoke. Towards the end of his Stoke career, he was very sort of getting balls in behind people and he just couldn't keep up with it. But I think he's much, like I said, matured more at Burnley. And I don't think that would happen as much anymore because he's learned when to get forward, when to get back and keep a good position that he wouldn't be able to get wingers running past him anymore, which I think is a great thing to have if you're a West Brom fan. I don't think it's a good thing to have if you're sort of so attacking minded. But I think he can do the best of both worlds because, like I said, he was able to get crosses in at Burnley, whereas at Stoke, he was more, maybe like you'd seen more last night, getting balls in behind. That probably reminds me of 2015 Stoke, Stoke Alona, where he was putting balls into and out of it. He can do the best of both, really, having had both sides of his career, one being a more attacking team and the other being a more defensive structure. If you put that into one system, you've got a perfect all-rounded fullback. And the, center, the left centre-half, I'm surprised Stoke didn't go in for him again. And I know... I don't really like Stoke looking at old players now because I kind of want Stoke to look more to the future than look at the past. But we really struggled for a left centre-half, spent the whole summer looking to get one and then didn't get one. And I'm surprised we didn't actually go in for him just to say, "Can we maybe we can use you for a one-year contract like you've done because Stoke needed a left centre-half, haven't got one. We've got Morgan Fox at left-back when Tyman's injured and he's not good enough to be in that position for Stoke. Peters would be much better. So I'm surprised that Stoke haven't actually gone in for him as well. So I think he's a really great fullback to have because he's now got the best of both worlds having worked in two previous systems that are so,
1: they're completely, completely the opposite really. It's interesting that you say there that you you like your recruitment system to look to the future rather than to the past. Our entire recruitment this summer was looking at was looking at players that have played for us before, <laughs> getting 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 linked to the Foster, yakoslu yeah. Dwight Gale, yeah. Shane Long. Talk to I think our, if indeed we had a list which we've established over time, we didn't. I think it was I think it was just looking back at Football Manager from about three years ago and looking at an Albion squad from then. And um, last question. Question on, on Peters, uh, Elliot. I, I think that one of the abiding memories that Albion fans will probably have of Eric Peters in a, in a Stoke shirt is probably one of the best. Strikes from an opposition player really? that I've uh, that I've seen at the Hawthorns in a two-one defeat, where Dwight Gale scored both goals for, uh, for us, but Eric Peters scored a very very late but quite brilliant consolation goal for you. Was that a flash in the pan, or is, is that is is that kind of shooting from distance something that is part of his makeup? Well, this is the thing. He um
2: then when he did it, it was very much a sort of a flash in the pan. And then a week later, he did it again against Preston. So I think he hadn't scored for Stoke since 2014-2013 when he did that. And he thought, no, that, that's some way to sort of break that duck. And then he did it again a week later, scored another cracking goal against Preston. So towards the end of his Stoke career, I would say that was very much a sort of occurrence for him. Whether he, he didn't, like I said, getting crosses into the box, we didn't have that sort of capability to... Get crosses in, and for, with the likes of Phoby who wasn't great for us, and we didn't have Crouch on the pitch at that time, I don't think. So whether he just thought, "I'm just going to hit this because there's no one I can cross it to," I don't know. But well, he might
1: as well just hit them for us because Grant's in the middle. Yeah,
2: well, exactly, and, and I think that's. I think he has got he has got that in his locker a lot more in the end of his career at Stoke rather than maybe the sort of young twenty three year old from PSV Eindhoven who would we're all down the wings get a cross in. It was. Yeah, completely the polar opposite. I think he's, like I said, matured more as a player, knows, has more experience, knows what to do. I think in that situation, he just thought, well, there's no one I can cross to here. I may as well just shoot. And the same thing happened again a week later. And I think he did it again in the season as well. So sort of more of an occurrence towards the end of his career at Stoke, rather than he's done that throughout the whole period at Stoke. But yeah, I think you can certainly expect some strikes from him if he's still got that.
1: Brilliant, thank you, Elliot. Thank you for for joining us today. Really, really appreciate and really appreciate the insight. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, Pete, just one last one to finish off before before we go. We've talked about the one new signing that we brought in um, uh, on on a free transfer. Um, I just want to quickly get your thoughts on the other because we. We we Ian Pierce obviously listens to the pod. We 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 pull out Tom Rogic as our primary target on a free transfer, and lo and behold, um, a week and a bit late—in fact, not even a week later Albion go and sign him. So, I mean, first of all, I'm certainly pleased we've signed Tom Rogic. I imagine you are too. What what does he bring to us, and where can he fit into this team?
0: Yeah, I'm really happy about that one. Um, he seems to be just kind of like a, a number ten and very very well-rounded as one. He seems to be a goal threat. Um, he seems to be able to create through his passes, through his dribbling um, and just kind of very, very well-rounded and very good t- technically. So I think when he's fit, we can see him playing that 10-roll that behind the striker. Whether that'll be with John Swift, I think it's more likely that Swift will probably drop so he's playing as more of an 8, if you like, alongside either Yacuzhlu or Malumbi. Which he he has done a few times when we've made substitutions. You know when Deungana has dropped into the ten, and, and maybe Swift dropped a little bit further back because he he has got the ability to do that. I think Rogic, from what I've I've seen and um and the numbers, he doesn't seem to do a lot of defensive work. But I mean, if he's playing as as the ten, then it's not his primary role, is it? He's more focused on and what he can do on the ball and whether he can create chances for his teammates and, and create chances for himself, um, which by the looks of it and what he was doing at, at Celtic, he can. And
1: Likes a 20-yarder as well from looking at his YouTube highlights reel.
0: So did John Swift, but I don't think we've seen one from him yet.
1: Wait, do we beat this out of players? Like you, you, I, have, I haven't seen Adam Reach have a shot from distance worthy of the name yet either.
0: It seems like Malumbi was the only one shooting from distance last night, but maybe we need Alex Moe back to do that. But no, I mean I think I think it'll be a good sign and I think it'll be exciting to watch, which is obviously a good thing, and I think we'll we'll get end product from his from him as well. Um, you know, he's gonna be if he's fit in time he's gonna be pushing for for a spot in the um the World Cup squad for Australia, so there's obvious motivations for him to get fit and and perform as well, which is, you know, it's always a bonus.
1: Brilliant. Well, let's hope we can see the best of him. And let's hope we see a bit more from the Albion on Saturday away at Norwich. A massive, massive game after the debacle that was the defeat to Birmingham City on Wednesday night. It'll be a quick quick turnaround for the Albion. It'll be a fairly quick turnaround for us as well. We'll be back to bring you another pod after the Norwich game before we have the break for the international window Um, so we will be back early part of next week so please look out for that but until then thanks for listening and up the baggies